Yeah, we really do owe it to ourselves to end the Fed. They're just destroying everything. But anyways, welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today my guest is Phil Gibson. He's the one that created that song. I'll have the full track at the end. He's also the host of A Boy Named Sue podcast, which is a podcast about Bitcoin and libertarianism. And we were chatting on uh, Twitter recently about the Libertarian Party, their stances on Bitcoin or, you know, just lack of enthusiasm around it. Um, And, you know, just discussing it. I thought he'd be great to bring on the podcast to discuss it because Bitcoin is the most important freedom technology that we have. And, you know, if we can't fix the money, we really can't fix anything. Like, it all stems from money and economics. And, uh, yeah, we dove into that in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. All right, thanks for doing this, Phil. Good to have you on the podcast. Good to have you. Do you, do I call you Tucson? Uh, you or call- Tuscan? Tuscan Raider? That's what uh, uh, Colin uh, over at uh, Bitcoin Echo Chamber says he calls it Tuxin. Um, it's funny but it's tucson well we'll get on the map someday um hopefully for something good not something bad um bitcoin energy is pretty fantastic out here in arizona it's really really picking up some steam so that's exciting good dude hopefully it does everywhere what 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 kind of bad stuff puts you on the map oh just you know dumb politics uh you know major you know wealth inequality issues crime I, I feel like there was like some stat that came out recently that like tucson's the number one city in america that you should always lock your car doors or something like that really um, but yeah it's uh i mean it's cool it's a it's a cool city in a lot of regards it's not like you know a cultural hub but um we'll see what happens in the future but, I think I think that it's just ripe for you know some massive Bitcoin adoption. We're starting to see that the meetups are popping both in Phoenix and Tucson. Um, yeah, my goal is uh, give Austin a run for its money in regards to Bitcoin Ooh. energy. Ooh, good luck. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just in Austin uh, for the Guns of Bitcoin conference. That was pretty cool. My first time out there. It's a cool city. Oh, cool, dude. Yeah. I, are we going? Yeah, we're going. Oh, sweet. Good. That's how I like to start the shows. You're like, the guest doesn't even know. I stole that shit trick from Bird Arcus and um, <laughs> Car Camp. It. You know who I'm talking about? You want me to start over? No. No. Keep it. All Fuck right. it. We're doing it live. Sounds good. Sounds good. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I was hoping to talk a bit about uh, Bitcoin libertarianism. I uh, was at a libertarian event. I brought a couple Bitcoiners with me um, last night. Uh, Lynn Ulbricht was there talking about Ross, and uh, nice. that was you know absolutely incredible to see her. The second time I got to hang out with her, I ended up winning a a, a drawing that he did in prison, um, which is super cool. Um, it is. Is she on on tour or something? Well, she's in Tucson um, for the time oh. being uh, because Ross is in prison in Tucson. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's just such a crazy story uh, that's you know really misrepresented in 
you know, kind of awful. Um, Did you see the movie that came out? It was like I, an independent film. Uh, which one? There was one that came out recently that I saw the trailer for a few months ago, and I was like, eh, I don't know if this is going to be worth watching. Or It was worth watching for the inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. And I had to do a little research, and Patrick Motorist uh, gave me some good feedback when I was asking him questions. But the FBI agent that they portray in the film is completely fictional, and they try to make like a, a savvy story for him about he had to get all this, sell all this Bitcoin for cash on the Silk Road and left it in a duffel bag for his daughter who had learning disabilities to go to a private school. So everything that the FBI did was like merited. And then he ends up going to jail. So you feel sorry for him, but he's totally like made up. And I, I have yet to read all that documentation on the free Ross website about like what really happened. But um, yeah, it it's only been recently that I really started to try to figure out what was going on because there are so many different narratives back and forth, but I, it really sucks. I mean, it really just goes to show that when you do something completely independent and permissionless from the state and it's successful then it is just a inherent threat and yeah that's that's what ross did but like it was all well intended and i always say the problem that we don't have is like the freedom of of choice and the only thing that we have to choose and opt out uh peacefully is is bitcoin and yeah like people have to get all doom and gloomy but people aren't really as free as they think it's like you don't really own anything right even you know your house like you're paying a mortgage off and even once you pay it off like they can take it away from you and yeah people are just kind of trapped until bitcoin of course yeah yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't think about that and don't know the, uh, you know, the implications of something like the, the fiat um, legal tender laws and, you know, being forced and somewhat coerced to, you know, use this currency that is just garbage um, and a lot of the stuff that goes along with it. And I mean, it, it, in a lot of regards, it, it, it kind of reminds me of Stockholm syndrome, you know, with with relationship a lot of people have with the state of just like you know worshiping it when they're really you know doing harmful things and it's i mean it's just absolutely insane i mean specifically like with ross like just what the case highlighted was um just major major issues in the criminal justice system of like people that are are being imprisoned you know for life for victimless crimes essentially you know with in regards to, you know, drugs and alcohol and, um, or specifically drugs, I guess not alcohol, but, um, yeah, it's just insane to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I always go back to this line that my favorite folk singer, kind of Texas Americana artist, his name is Todd Snyder, T-O-D-D-S-N-I-D-E-R. And he 
he he was just discovered by Jimmy Buffett, but he started playing like where I went to college, uh, like Texas State, San Marcos area, and Austin, and he's been everywhere like since the mid '90s. But his first album is uh, or his first live album. All of his live stuff is like where you want to go first because he's like a storyteller. He's like a comedic Dylan and uh like of our age i think he's better than dylan but uh there's he talks about all this stuff but in like a a funny way and he understands drugs like he's been in rehab and everything and but there's a line in one of his songs that uh he's like it's not what drugs you do but it's whose drugs you do people still dig drugs (laughs) you know and that that's pretty much exactly where like the whole victimless crime thing comes from. It's like, no one really cares what drugs you do, but if you're not doing the state's drugs, then uh, it's an issue, but they make it not an issue with the prison industrial complex. So either way, if they're still making money off you, they catch you. Yeah. I mean, it, blows my mind like I, I worked in drug rehabilitation treatment you know for like seven years and I saw the wow. impacts of drugs of like working with people that are detoxing and uh you know so I know like people make decisions that are harmful but I also think it's just absolutely insane to dictate what you can and can't do um to that regard <laughs> I mean it's like you, you look at like heroin for example it's a major issue in Tucson it's you know, pretty um, normal to be driving down the street and seeing somebody, you know, seeing the ambulance at a bus stop for somebody that probably overdosed. Um, And, you know, you just look at that, you know, what's resulting from this black market of bad drugs that are being sold on the street with fentanyl and how easily that would be, you know, fixed um, if they just allowed it to be, you know, out there and open i don't think like the average like we ron paul said this pretty good if they legalized heroin tomorrow you know people wouldn't go out and yeah or and 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 buy it and start doing it we don't need laws to protect us from doing you know harmful things to ourselves in that regard um yeah but i mean it's just yeah it goes back to we don't have freedom of of choice even how to really if we want professional help we don't have the choice to really not take drugs because like what do they fill it in with more drugs their drugs methadone or whatever opioid Mm -hmm. and you know people getting hooked on pharmaceuticals is probably i don't really know like on scale worse maybe just like class at scale it's worse especially like i don't know middle class like white people that can afford like drugs you know, and it's funny you bring up Ron Paul. I was it two, it was probably two years ago. Yeah, 2019, I think I went to one of his conferences that he puts on in Houston. This was the and ending the war on the war on drugs. And he said that and more. And he had, had a bunch of other speakers there, too. But again, it's like going back to people just trying to figure stuff out on their own. And, you know, you you'll need help but the best help you're going to get is from the private sector but your private sector is just weighed down by all these artificial barriers and regulations 
that prevents them from actually providing healthy solutions instead of ones by the state. Yep. No, I, I mean, I can testify to that a lot. I mean, the public treatment centers are just garbage you know, that are out there. Like the detoxes are just awful. And then the private market, you know, is a million times better, but it's, you know, difficult when they artificially, uh, you know, screw up the markets and, and uh, everything is just becoming so centralized. So there's these giant monopoly treatment center companies that own everything and there's not competition and, you know, there's not an allowance for like competitive pricing and, and all of these things and all, all the normal people are getting priced out of it. And then, you know, you have the insurance mess that goes along with it, which is also an industry that's growing ever more, you know, consolidated and uncompetitive and just awful. And it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, but yeah, uh, so the Libertarian Party kind of has like, a, you know, I, I don't know, pretty uh, uninspiring relationship to Bitcoin. Um, I'm hoping to change that. Uh, what, what do you think the disconnect is there between the Libertarian Party and Bitcoin? Yeah, I've asked people this. And I like what VJ Boy Potty says about it, how... As much as we love our Rothbard and everything, Rothbard was just kind of a Luddite in a way because, you know, he still wrote his essays and treatises and books like on an old school typewriter. And I think he hated flying as well and just was not savvy on tech. And I wonder if a lot of the even the good like Misesian dudes at the Mises Institute kind of still think that way because it's all they knew and they're uh they're i don't know they're just old and stuck in their ways and they're not savvy on changing but thank god for people like stefan lavera who really speak to that crowd because that's kind of where he came from and everything and uh and, and vj and all the people that are into ron paul like ron paul even says that oh yeah there's a place for crypto and blah 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 and like yeah like stateless money but i think it's just people are stuck in their ways and they don't really put the, the time in but you know if they want to leave a lasting legacy then that and create generational wealth for their kids and grandkids then i think eventually they'll come around to it i can't really, really, really speak for all of them but when you ha hear people like jeff dice go on stefan Levera's podcast like he gets it he owns bitcoin I, like the bitcoin standard is in the mises library so they're coming around to it but I noticed a few months back when I was listening to part of the problem, Dave Smith's podcast, he said that, yeah, Bitcoin's doing this crazy thing. We should get someone on. People are on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, telling me to have this person or that person on. But uh, I don't really know. I, I remember hearing an advertisement. It was like a quasi permissionless way to trade stocks or whatever you know like a, a freer robin hood kind of thing and i heard in the ad that he had you you could trade crypto of all other things so maybe there's a conflict of interest there and he couldn't just be like bitcoin only but i don't even know if he gets that but he, he's a smart guy and i don't know what shows he's listened to or what he's read i'm sure he's read the bitcoin standard and and gets it so i don't know if these libertarians already have like 
sponsors that are crypto or they just have families and are fo focusing on their career. So they just haven't had time to look into Bitcoin. And I think that's, I think that's what the issue is with a lot of people, right? Because they're just so busy in the now and planning for the future. You know, two things that Bitcoiners are savvy on, kind of like the Jordan Peterson thing, like clean your room first, fix you first, work on that now so you can be better in the future. But Bitcoin's hard to really grok and wrap your head around. But it is unfortunate because it should be easy for you to understand how important stateless money is. But the biggest hurdle, I think, is putting in the time and hours to learn why only Bitcoin and nothing else. And I think another big hurdle is just being intimidated by the whole technology factor. And once you kind of learn, it's just kind of like basic computer science. And I, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's indisputable after you just put some time into it. But that's one of the hurdles that prevented me from getting it automatically because I was intimidated by the whole tech thing. Cause I didn't come from like a coder background at all. And I didn't really care because I was kind of like a Luddite in my mind. I was kind of scared and just felt inadequate and feel like I couldn't really match up to anything computer science related. And it wasn't until Bitcoin where I did push myself and I felt like I needed to get to some level of understanding just like the basics of that. And I had to be thankful for Bitcoin because it pushed me to do that. Like I don't code but i tried to learn a little bit just basic html css how to make a website something that anyone can really do like freecodecamp.org is great for that like the lesson plans at the end you can basically just copy paste the code and then whatever uh ide uh, or you know like video studio code like whatever environment you're doing you just copy paste that code and if you're using all just front end stuff it's all javascript and it runs in the browser so you can there immediately see the progress you make as you open up a little browser window and you just iterate on what you're working on you're like oh shit i made a website and it's just copy paste and a little googling and that just kind of like <laughs> made the scales fall from my eyes like oh i can do this too and i just like pushed myself to just listen to podcasts back and forth and just the understandings of like you know it made me question the basics. Like, what is the internet? How does it work? Like, what is the server? What is a router? How does cryptography function? And it's, it, I always say that Bitcoin gave me the education that I never would have received in the first place. Like, yeah, there's computer science classes, but uh, it, it really made me curious because I had some skin in the game and I felt compelled. Like it was my duty and obligation to just understand the basics like that. And I was fortunate to not have like a family and like a job I was super serious about. And so I was afforded this time to, to put in. And I don't think a lot of adults do because again, they are busy with their life and their fiat job and everything. So yeah, kind of in a roundabout way, I was able to emerge out of the Luddite libertarian mindset, which is really sad because like, what are the cypherpunks, right? Because the cypherpunks are actually creating these tools and solutions that we can implement instead of LARPing and bitching 
and it's just un- unfortunate that like a lot of people just don't get to that and i think the easiest way to understand bitcoin is to be presented this information in a, a story because the story of the cypherpunks is is exactly that a story if you're into wikileaks at all right julian assange all that stuff like he was a cypherpunk he used technology and it, it, like learning about bitcoin through the, the it, like watching it uh play, play out and being in the shoes of people in the early days like digital gold is a great book and I think that's a good presentation because it takes you on, on this journey and you feel like you're a part of it. But again, it's all about like, how much time do you have to invest in this? And I guess from there, you can kind of go into, oh, well, yeah, how much time do you have to invest in this and that, uh, you know, taking your 401k or whatever savings you have. I mean, you waste so much time trying to figure out markets and the best way to save your time is to invest in Bitcoin, which is just buying on a reoccurring basis, dollar cost average, or wait for a dip or whatever. And so it would just make a lot of people's lives so much easier to not have to worry about investing because Bitcoin just works in that way. So I think I was fortunate to have like this time and uh, just interview people on my podcast and ask them questions and kind of get out of that that slump of being afraid of technology and just embracing it because that is i mean technology is the way the free market speaks in entrepreneurship and i think it was mises that really said like entrepreneurship like is inherently like economic or libertarian or like by default like humans are entrepreneurs and uh the best thing we we can do is use our ingenuity and reap the rewards from uh mixing the fruits of our labor to have like these products that can free us so i think every libertarian obsessing whatever at some point should be able to wrap their heads around that and even if they don't understand all the tech behind it like a lot of people in our space say, you don't know how email works, but it doesn't matter because it does. And if you want a solution against the state, then you're gonna you're gonna use Bitcoin because it just works. Yeah. yeah, that's a great outline. I mean, the the text side of it is definitely intimidating. I definitely went through a similar experience with HTML and CSS myself. And it's just really fun to like sit down, learn how to build a website um, from scratch instead of using, uh, you know, website builder and paying all of that money. But um, yeah, it, it is. That's an interesting perspective as far as like the the difficulty of learning. Um, and I, I think like going off of what you said, I think one of the biggest roadblocks is people don't see that this is probably the most important freedom technology that we have right now. Um, and they disconnect it. One, one thing that you, you know, mentioned was like, you know, the crypto aspect of it, of being a distraction. Um, it, a lot of times when I talk to libertarians about Bitcoin, that's one of the things that they bring up is that they like crypto and they like the space. Um, why, why Bitcoin and not the shit coins? 
you know, specifically, like why, why don't the shit coins represent, represent, you know, kind of the libertarian ideology? Because shit coins are fiat. They are centralized. Bitcoin's the only decentralized money that we'll ever have. And the libertarians that say crypto and not crypto, not Bitcoin, but they're open is because they probably don't want like a monopolistic kind of idea and they want a free market of money and they want a free market of opportunity and they feel like <laughs> it sounds like i'm speaking for them but fuck it like yeah i'm speaking for them because this is also one of the hurdles that i heard when i was trying to learn bitcoin and on my journey i liked the bcash narrative because people like sal the Yagarist, and vin armani who i've had both on my show they were very helpful on my journey and they're great dudes, but it just drives me crazy how, like their narrative was that the BTC maximalists were basically actually like commies and they wouldn't let people have this free market of innovation and change to make Bitcoin better. But really the market already decided Bitcoin and sure you can fork off, but it's not gonna be Bitcoin and we won't accept it because we're working on a stateless money. And when I say we're working on a stateless money, it kind of sounds like I am speaking for like all of the Bitcoiners and the core devs, because some of them didn't even come for the cypherpunk part. You know, some of them just came for a job and they're really smart and they're good at what they do. And maybe they don't ever get Bitcoin. Maybe it doesn't click for them for the freedom parts, but really that doesn't matter. Because that just proves our point of how decentralized Bitcoin is. Because it doesn't matter why you're working on it. You're working on it, right? You're, you're not even intending to make the world better. But you, you are, right? Because it, at that time in your life, it's the only thing that you know how to do is working on, on this project. And you chose to do that instead of go work for Microsoft or Google or whatever. So the point is you're here. And if you're here, you're going to drag more people here. So to go back to the, you know, why libertarians say crypto and not Bitcoin again, probably because if we live on a fiat standard, our money doesn't hold its value as well. And yeah, people can have X amount of money in their checking account. They can have savings to live off of, but, um, Again, maybe they're just too caught up and they're not afforded the time to invest and learn and to better themselves by rocking Bitcoin in that way. But again, it's just new and it's hard to wrap your head around at first. You you get skeptical, right? But as, if you're skeptical about like, why are people so into Bitcoin and nothing else? You're kind of already on the right path to be a Bitcoiner because you're questioning everything. And it's not until you question absolutely everything, which I probably haven't, but it's not until you question absolutely everything and you challenge yourself that you see Bitcoin is the only answer and, you know, pull out Nick Carter's FUD dice. Like everything's been asked already and all this FUD that comes in these cycles, which by the way, this is my first like actual bull run. I didn't really get in until 2019, but you know, it still took me about a good six months or so to see, Oh, it's like Bitcoin and I'm wasting my time with everything. And, if I'm already a libertarian, because that's how I found all this stuff, then the only solution is the true decentralized 
say it was money. And even if libertarians understand the history of money and they talk about like by metalism aside, it was gold, right? It was gold that was the most powerful form of money. And it's reasonable that money only converges on one. <laughs> and we have fiat and all this layered money stuff and this counterparty risk and notes, like paper notes and having gold stored in warehouses and custodianship, like all of those only emerged because it was the only way that we could scale money. And again, it was just the tech that we had at the, at the time, as Saifuddin and others talk about. And it worked until it didn't. And yeah, it still works. Like we have layers. We have, we have the Fed wire for final settlements. And we have uh, cash for as long as we do, but we have cash instruments like money market funds or the stock market or Coinbase and we have Visa, but it money still takes this layered approach. And that is how you scale, even though fiat is shit, that's how you scale money. That's how you scale anything that should work and that should last. Like the internet, the OSI model or the TCPIP model rather. Because I know a lot of people will like to argue back and forth the TCP model uh is it better than the osi one for whatever reason but that's how you scale a solution that is built to last is through layers and that is another aspect of computer science and just the whole tech thing that if you're a libertarian and you don't put in the time to just learn about the basics of the internet then you you don't know that and so it only makes sense to scale with layers have bitcoin btc like bitcoin core doing one thing one thing only just having this this vast ledger that is accessible and open to everyone and you have the miners that are investing so much money into getting more bitcoin but as they mine a block you know that is unfuckable with and it protects everyone's transactions and so that is what layer one should be. And if you want to scale that, then you make your visa like solutions, whether it be lightning or side chains or whatever. And then you scale out whatever other applications you want on top of that. Because if you just try to shove everything on layer one, like any other crypto, then you are just creating tech debt. You're just <laughs> you're, you're no better than the federal reserve, Jerome Powell or anyone else trying to, bandage over mistakes in the legacy system and creating leverage and more counterparty risk and it's unstable i had nick Bhatia on recently and he talks about in his book like the dollars in disrepair because it's just so fragile because of all this leverage and people hedging against themselves because you go from bank to bank it's just one hop because one bank wants to borrow from the next because they think some market currency market or whatever market is going to go this way. And so they tell their counterparty to take the, the risk and go the other way. And you just have the, these layers of fragility and trust. And when the trade doesn't go the way someone predicted it would, then someone's got to take the fall somehow. And it was exactly that why 
I think it was long-term capital management or even up to the housing bubble. Like that's why Greenspan said, because everyone was so dependent on each other, all these financial institutions borrowing from each other and depending on, you know, the, the trade going well, it was just such a gamble and everyone's guessing. And had it not been for a measly $3.6 billion from the Fed, then the entire financial system would collapse. And that's why these institutions are too big to fail because they can't fail because the Federal Reserve is the lender of only resort now. And that's like, that is a layered approach, but it's, it's fragile, but you know, that's trying to fit everything in on any other cryptocurrency, like on one layer, it's kind of similar to that because you sacrifice security risks. Like that's why we don't do hard forks in Bitcoin because anything that's going to make the protocol fragile just is a, a threat to what Bitcoin really is. It's that 21 million hard cap and we can't compromise any of that. That's why Taproot's taken so long. That's why any soft fork is so just approached so conservatively because we learn from example from history we learn what not to do and that is a lot you know i covered like basic computer science and i covered history and markets and all these gold bugs and everyone do get that you know we need to save this money for that exact reason but again i think it's just people don't take the time to understand and especially if you're following people on twitter you just base everything off instinct and emotion and you just pour your heart out to the world with your thumbs and i don't know you you fuck around to find out you, you don't learn until you do and alex betsy and others say people come to bitcoin through curiosity or pain hmm. and hopefully this adoption makes them come because of curiosity but I think the majority of them will come to pain because they'll be so desperate and Bitcoin's going to be the only solution for plebs, retail, but also people in the bond markets and the credit default swap markets because sovereigns do default eventually. And even if it takes another century or two for the United States to fall, they'll still try to bandage over it with more financial obfuscation and manipulation or CBDCs or whatever it might be. But Bitcoin's really the only answer. And there's no other crypto that can fulfill that. Unless if, well, I was going to say, unless we have like Quibitcoin or Quantum Coin, but that's going to be Bitcoin. Because even if we do have to hard fork for whatever reason to be quantum resistant, it's going to be through consensus of the full node runners, right? And so that consensus is still based on the conviction and, and decentralization and just agreeance that uh, Bitcoin is our only answer. And we've come this far and uh, it just proves have how anti-fragile Bitcoin really is by the people that it serves and the people that serve it. And you can't do that with any other cryptocurrency.
Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I, it, the the consensus model with Bitcoin is pretty incredible. How how difficult it is to create any sort of change um, comparatively to a lot of the other projects out there, where there's a very small group of developers that kind of call the shots, um, or or the nodes are not like I mean, I mean, you just look at like Dogecoin, for example, because that's the that's the all the craze right now, you know. And there's probably like 100 to 200 nodes operating out there, and it's just kind of a you know crazy model. I, I forgot what the number is with Bitcoin, but um, I think recently I saw something like it's up near like 10,000 nodes, and that's only the nodes that can be like identified on on the network and to get consensus with you know 10,000 different people. Um, all around the world is a much different, you know, experience. And probably the majority of the nodes running on Doge are, are the exchanges. Um, and they have a uh, different uh, incentive yeah. than the average person. Um, yeah. And that incentive is that they'll put any shit coin on there because like um, Berkshire, or, no, it's not. That's the, that's what's his faces fund. But um, like, these uh these recent brokerages that are doing accepting bitcoin that you can buy them from them for astronomical fees or whatever they don't care what they put on there because their incentive is their bottom line which is make money off of you using it like the spread the 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 fees so they don't care and like that aside going back to just all these nodes running on the network well the reason why we have that is because of maintain de- decentralization and make it so it's difficult to hard fork Bitcoin or impossible to hard fork Bitcoin because what matters is running your node. What matters is being able to run an audit on the federal reserve, like not literally, and I hate to compare Bitcoin to the federal reserve, but being able to audit the supply of money in this ecosystem, in this economy, and you can't do that anywhere else. I mean, Pierre Richard tried to do it. That's the whole run the numbers thing with Bitcoin and putting up an Ethereum nodes when there's only like five in existence or some bullshit. But again, that's what separates crypto from Bitcoin. If you understand like libertarianism and you're you read your Rothbard and all of this and you understand hard money, what keeps it hard is to not fuck with it. Hmm. Like Jason Williams's book is amazing. Like, I recommend that to any noob in the space. Hard money you can't fuck with. And because Bitcoin is so unfuckable, that's what allows you to download all 250 gigabytes or 300 gigabytes or megabytes. I don't know. See, I'm not tech dude, so I can't really differentiate that right now. Like 270 gigs. Okay, gigs. Yeah, okay, not megs. Gigs, duh. Um, But yeah, it's giving you the power to check on your money and you don't have to run a node but the beauty is is that you can cheaply you know at max like spend 200 bucks on software but like 70 or something at at the minimum it's like this is available to you and 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 that's just so empowering like being your own bank and that you can't replicate that because everything else is fiat there's a central authority there's a vitalik or or someone that is calling the shots and is basically running like a 
a corporate coin, a corporate currency. Like it's a business. Like Ethereum is a business. It's a narrative. It's a marketing whatever. And their incentive is to just, you know, keep their coin on an exchange and keep their narrative running and to take advantage of retail that just want to come in and make a quick buck, which, you know, God bless them. Of course they, they do because there's no other place they feel safe, I guess, because they got screwed by Robin Hood because they got their hand forced upon them to uh, make their own position or, or, you know, Robin Hood made them close their position. And, you know, that was a wake up call and maybe they went over to DeFi, but DeFi markets are so shallow and it's innovative in the sense it is kind of free market based because it's separate from the legacy financial system. But people that make those markets are and the developers are being funded by large hedge funds and it is still kind of manipulated. And even if you try to manipulate the market of Bitcoin, it it's uh, it's it's still decentralized because the ebb and flow of of you know the the market dips is just a manifestation of a free market. And even if you have still those free market ebbs and flows in DeFi, it's still not the same because it like Bitcoin is still truly decentralized. Like you can spin up any DeFi project you want, but you don't have that same immaculate conception of Satoshi and then him leaving and everything. So it is kind of like a fuck around and find out. And if you know what you're doing in shit coins and you're trying to do that to get more Bitcoin, like God bless you. Like I, I can't do that. I never want to invest my time into it, but if you can do that, then that that's that's cool. I guess that's more empowering to you if you can be like a market maker or getting like on a coin at the right time. It's like, yeah, there's some moral case against that, and that's probably one thing that's like preventing me from from doing that. But still, like, uh, I don't know. There's still nothing like Bitcoin though, because no matter how much you try to manipulate the market, as long as you're still like dollar cost averaging in, like you're you're, you're you're profiting you're you you keep winning you can't do that anywhere else yeah that's solid yeah i yeah there, i can't tell you how many times um i've had conversations in the last couple of weeks where somebody calls me and and asks me about trading strategies and i did you know typically tell them um i i encourage them not to but the advice i give them is to not use leverage um that's yeah. a really bad idea <laughs> and yeah i mean isn't that arguably what happened with the recent crash is that it it, it was a mixed bag right elon's like environmental fud was kind of like the feather that knocked over the house of cards but the house of cards was built on a lot of leverage traders expecting the price to keep going up and then you probably have people sell off because they need to pay taxes or whatever. But um, again, you still have that fragility that is 10 times worse than any other crypto market. And it's all, like, it's funny that on Clubhouse, there's like bullish as fuck rooms and people that are experienced in just trading in, in general before Bitcoin. And they are bullish as fuck because they're, making like call options for when it's like at 200k and stuff and you know they they know how to use those tools and everything they are experienced but even up until then it's like it's like the hayekian thing or just 
like Austrian theory that you like you're you're human and you don't know all the answers and at the end of the day like you shouldn't but to counter that it's kind of you're taking asymmetrical like entrepreneurial risk and with risk comes reward but with bitcoin and any other sound investment it's only a risk if you don't understand it but if you understand what you buy then you gain yourself that asymmetrical knowledge and so if you understand what you're doing then you win if you if you know if you studied history and you kind of know how it plays out but again even if you try to do that with bitcoin you're not always going to succeed like we saw with you know the the whole leverage thing and um i don't know you're always safe in just understanding that there's a 21 million supply cap that can't be that can't be compromised and the and your best winning strategy is just to dca yeah yeah that's great it's I mean, the, the amount of leverage that there is in Bitcoin and, and how that influences these wild price fluctuations is really fascinating to me. It's, um, I mean, I think it's fantastic, honestly, because it, it really, uh, you know, punishes these traders in a way that, you know, I think needs to happen. Um, but yeah, we're going to see a lot of that in the future of, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, the manipulation coming out where somebody will, you know, say something negative or write some negative article, you know, maybe get the price moving a little bit and then people will go behind the scenes and dump. Um, and that, that's, you know, what happens in the short term, but I think in the long term, and, and this is the, the problem that I think majority of people have when they get into Bitcoin is they struggle to have the long term, um, you know, vision of what will happen with it you know, of it being a global payments network that's going to radically change everything. Um, and it currently is. And, um, you know, what that means for the price over the long term and what that means, uh, you know, for the network in general. Um, and they, they're thinking in dollar terms, uh, which I don't think is very helpful either. Um, and I think that's why people are drawn to the shit coins specifically as they see these wild plus price fluctuations but yeah it's it's it does take a lot of work I, I mean i think that's the thing that it comes down to um we we have a environment that discourages any sort of personal responsibility right now um everything's about taking the easy way out and it's just um you know not really conducive or helpful um for you know, a free and open society in the slightest. Yeah, people, man, it, it's like the fiat mindset, right? But it's also like the fiat life, their fiat job that they probably want to escape. So they just want to find an easy out if they can. Yep. Yeah. So what, what brought you to Bitcoin specifically? Was it curiosity or pain or a bit of both? Uh, I don't think it was pain. Well, and it was mostly curiosity. It was more me just finding like the answers to life. And it's not like I know the answers to life. But like I mentioned, I came to libertarianism first. 
and I came to libertarianism through Dave Smith's podcast. But before that, I was really trying to figure out like how the world kind of works. I felt like I didn't learn everything I needed in school or from my parents. And I kind of took like the political pundit route by listening to stuff like on the right, like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and like Buck Sexton and stuff. But then I also listened to a lot of stuff on NPR too. So I wanted to get both sides and like find like the middle ground, right? Because kind of grew up in like a right voting conservative household. And that made sense to me because of course, like all oh, the mean Democrats, like taxing us, taking our money and, you know, all this and that. And, um, but I grew up like socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Like I was always like a saver with like birthday money and just working jobs as a teenager and stuff. And like, I got that, but then like the socially liberal was, you know, not always super clean cut. And I was a musician first really. And I loved rock and roll. And one of the most uh, influential albums that I listened to was American Idiot by Green Day and, and other punk stuff and just how liberating rock and roll really was in that cultural aspect and really kind of learning how uh rock and roll and and punk rock bitcoin is because it's freedom money it's fuck you money like i'm doing this i don't care what you think and you can't stop me and of course i kind of put two and two together later but i uh yeah it was more of like curiosity and I went down a foreign policy rabbit hole after hearing Scott Horton and really meshing together the whole anti-war stuff, like with like punk rock and all of that and learning about like, you know, why we actually went to war in Iraq and just being lied to. I really gravitated towards like, yeah, I'm anti-war. Like I quote unquote came from like the right, but they're so wrong on this. And, uh, you know, still understanding that, like, money is important and, like, being taxed sucks and taxation is theft, but the worst taxation is inflation through the Federal Reserve. And it's not without the Federal Reserve that we do have these endless wars or skirmishes. And so it wasn't until Bitcoin really and, like, the further history of, of money and currency manipulation and how empires fall is all because of manipulation of the money supply and so if you want to end wars the best way to do that is to you know take away their their power right opting out and investing or saving your savings into the soundest money ever and so yeah that that's kind of like what 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 did it for me and it's just hard to change your mind of how you've understood life like jeff booth talks about like change is hard people are stuck in their ways and so no matter if you come from the left or right you might learn more as you get older and you have experiences but you might have realized this but you know it seems people like in their middle age just kind of like stop and they're content and this goes back to just not being curious and just being complacent with your day to day. And so you don't like learn more and those 
old dogs don't learn new tricks. And so, um, yeah, I kind of forgot what, what your question was, but, um, yeah, that, that's kind of like my background of, of how I found, oh, pain or curiosity. So yeah, through my curiosity of just understanding life and getting to Bitcoin, it, it was curiosity, but it was painful in the sense that I, it was painful learning that not just from hearing, but actually experiencing that my money in my bank account isn't really mine and then I need to ask permission to use it. That was the, the pain. I was trying to buy a VPN to, again, like uh, I was trying to, I was on my Bitcoin only journey. So I got a VPN so I could uh, hide my IP address so I could buy a bunch of like shit coins on Binance because at the time I was learning, listening to Freeman Beyond the Wall with P. Quinones, his his podcast. Good stuff, good dude. Um, and he had this guy named Donnie Gebberdon who wrote uh, Direct Re Republic, basically like kind of like Bitcoin, but without Bitcoin, but using like a blockchain to vote for things that you want directly, you know, like Direct Re Republic and how democracy kind of should be because democracy is broken, whatever. And this is about like spring, summer 2019, when things were going down in China and like we lost Hong Kong and this and that and stuff like that. And uh, there were, there was the repo market stuff going on. So all these kind of cracks in, in the world and the financial system were going on. He was talking about how backed and like JP Morgan was going to put out a coin and everything. And so it was kind of this crypto blockchain approach of people using technology because they need to, I guess, find a way out and be like money self-sovereign. And he was talking about how it was going to be fiat apocalypse and they were going to have like basket of different cryptocurrencies because those will be the best options and he was hedging by buying things like poly something or sis coin or all these other things like bat basic attention token and like that was was how he was gonna like hedge because that fiat was just gonna like die and so that like caught my attention and i thought i should do the same thing which was stupid really of course because you know we talked about how you know, everything that's not Bitcoin is basically fiat because it's controlled this and that. And um, so I try to get VPN to, I guess, buy this basket of crypto. So like hedge myself and save myself or whatever. So to do that, I learned that I can't do that in the US. So I had to buy VPN and all of this. And I was, as I was buying my VPN, uh, my debit credit cards were getting uh, flagged or they just wouldn't work from uh, my credit union so I called them and after being on hold for 20 minutes I was like uh, I, I was told by the lady like you need to contact your branch and I'm like excuse me this is my money I thought I could use it right and I'm, of course like when you're going to buy all these shit coins like you need bitcoin to do it in the first place right so I just went to cash app and bought 100 bucks worth or whatever the amount was to buy that VPN. And then I sent it to my green wallet, or I think I was even using like a Coinomi wallet or some shit. But I sent it to a wallet and I bought my VPN with Bitcoin like right then and there. And like, just like that, it was so empowering. Like it was a relief that 
I could make my money work for me because it was actually mine and I didn't have to ask for permission. Like me KYC on on Cash App aside, like it was just so it, Bitcoin is hell of a drug that way. Hmm. Because that autonomy, that power, you taking control of your finances and, and your life. It's just the way that money should be. Your money should work for you because it's yours and you earned it. And thankfully, I didn't go buy a bunch of shit coins on Binance. I didn't even use the VPN for that reason. But it really, it, like, I guess you could say I came from both curiosity and pain. But it's not until people actually use Bitcoin just buying a little amount and sending a little amount when they realize like what this thing is and just getting that high and that excitement and that euphoria of this is mine. I can store this in my head and walk across the border of Mexico stark naked and have my net worth in my head, my life savings in my head and nobody can stop that from happening. And it's really not until like any noob like has that experience is where it really clicks, right? Because it goes back to you don't know how email works. The fact is, is that it just works. And when you can apply that, that gratification from email to your money is just when the light bulb goes off. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, I, I think it's one of those situations that, you know, we're just so conditioned to thinking that this is the way that money works, that people don't realize that there's an alternative until they experience it with Bitcoin. And that's, that's an awesome story. I mean, yeah, I'm and even if it takes an hour or whatever for a block to verify, it's like, you still did it. <laughs> and by the way, you can't reverse that unless if you do like rbf replaced by fee whatever but even like spending more money to get your money there faster or to a different wallet destination that's empowering as fuck mm -hmm. you can't do that in the fiat system like you're participating in a free market like you are again investing your time and money by upping that fee to pay for the miners and contribute to the network to guarantee the security of that transaction that you're trying to make. You can't do that. You can't go bribe Venmo or PayPal or whatever to like make sure that this can't be reversed because Bitcoin is a push system in that aspect. It's not a pull system. Maybe you can make some cool like smart contract and have like a recurring like pull from your lightning channel to pay for like a Netflix subscription or, or whatever model on some layer three that has like that, that push and pull aspect, but still like even talking about that is innovative in of itself. Like we're making the internet money. We are recreating money to make it work for the individual. And even if all the solutions aren't there, what matters is that people are working on this and what matters is the power and the autonomy and just like 
I don't know, just like the dictatorship you have over about how you can dictate your money, your time, your wealth, all your your work and labor that is manifested into this digitally finite asset that will be yours until you say so. Yeah, for sure. It's it's incredible and it's a major paradigm shift and yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It would be cool to have a service. Um, now that I think about it, that you could just load um, with some lightning Bitcoin and uh, have it be pulled for different subscriptions. I think that would be fantastic. And yeah, maybe do that with like a DLC or some kind of escrow thing where you have like this pool where, you know, maybe, yeah, like you, you preload it. So, you know, it's like an account that is just for, pulling money out and then you can fund that account from your node whenever or you can like like i'm not like a developer of course but this is just ideas i have in my head but you can just like schedule from your node times and days that you load that that account to be pulled from you on a monthly basis whatever so you can like keep loading it when funds run out or you get pinged that funds in that channel are running low and you just fund that channel again and like by your authority you being your own bank like you're you are dictating like when it's being a pull system uh like programmable money like that that's that's what it is that's what they say it is and these are just ideas that are working on at this iterative pace that um is, is well worth waiting for. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so like kind of looking forward at, at the libertarian party, um, do you have hope for them? I don't really pay attention to it. I like what Dave Smith is doing and the latest, like, I don't know if it was at Yale or something, but, um, like a bunch of people from, the Mises caucus and all the other caucuses were at this event. I think it was in Austin. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know where the hell they were, but um, I don't know. Like you have like your star walk works and like your Scott Horton's there. And they were all kind of like vibing off like the same idea and goal in, in principle. And so I, I think there is a, there is like a consensus within the libertarian party from what it sounds like. Like I don't pay attention to that stuff. I, I listen to Bitcoin podcasts and and pay attention to that. But um, it is cool that is Dave Smith running for like president of Mises Caucus or party chairman? Like what what is he what's he doing? I think he's going to run for um, president of the United States. Uh, so wait, wait, wait what? Huh? Like really? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to try and be the libertarian candidate. There, oh, wow. he, he hasn't. There's a bunch of like rules and restrictions as far as like when you can officially declare and what you can and can't say. So he hasn't come out um, outright. Oh wow! But yeah. But well, yeah. If he's running as like libertarian candidate, like, and he is who he is, I and mean, even like whatever spectrum of libertarianism you're on, like you know who he is and. You agree with probably a majority of what he says, like like all the border issue bullshit, like aside whatever you feel about that. 
that that that's awesome like there is like this kumbaya come together consensus about dave smith uh from like your sarwark side and your uh i can't think of any other people that ran this last year um yeah it, it's cool and it gives like organizations like yell and others to do so there's an incentive to you know grow your libertarian business or campaign stuff there so i guess it's like creating jobs and is good for people in that line of work too but um with dave smith at the helm it's uh it's a net positive of course you know if i wasn't into bitcoin I, that's probably might be the only thing i'd be paying attention to really but i always go back to like what vj boy potty thinks like he he was so he was he was a, a big deal in like the Ron Paul campaigns. I remember him talking about it. Like he would go to New Hampshire and like he rented out houses for people to stay in and he, he you know he did a lot of work, but then at the same time he just kind of like it's like, oh, Bitcoin's the only thing to really like focus about and pay attention. And I really hope that Dave Smith can have more Bitcoin people on, like at least have Safe Dean or VJ on, right? Mm-hmm. Because like they get the Austrian thing. They 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 get it and they i think would speak to a lot of people and be relatable like if the bitcoin standard is in the mises library why the fuck wouldn't you have him on and that's something that just still like infuriates me because if you want like a stateless money like if you want to separate everything from state you do that by fixing the money like dave gets all like and the fed stuff and i don't know if there's like a, a restriction that prevents him from talking about Bitcoin or whatever the case might be, because I still get like he's open, like he has to be open to crypto in general. Because whether it's people that pay him or sponsors or whatever, that he would be ostracizing them if he want Bitcoin only. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm just speculating, but really like it's cliche as it is in bitcoin it's you fix the money and you fix the world and maybe that just sounds too simplistic but i don't really know maybe they they think or dave smith thinks that you need to focus on the social issues as well because really that's what hits people in the feels right like the then and there and how they're feeling about this news event and you just leverage people's emotions and hit them where it hurts with good like liberty speak because you gotta you you gotta re- relate to them how they're relating to whatever's happening in that moment so i think like that would be a value argument that's something i could understand him doing but uh i don't know it is it is aggravating how like bitcoin is just such like it's it's the way that you you change people's minds like it really is the incentives around it are so strong and i don't know i think there is something though there that libertarians are put off by is that oh it is like the most dominant it is because it's so dominant maybe it's like a corporate like sell out thing how it sounds too good to be true maybe someone is like controlling and manipulating it maybe it is made by the government but like even if it's made by the government like they they can't do anything to it and like if they made it themselves which i don't think it, they did i think it's the cypherpunks 
But even if they made it themselves, like they shot themselves in the foot, like Bitcoin already won. They wanted to shut it down. They would have done it in the early, early days. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the cypherpunks too, but I, I like to entertain the thought that it could have been an organization like the NSA or something like that, just because of how ironic and comical it is. Like yeah. the government agents. Or it could have been cypherpunks or that like people that were in the NSA that converted to cypherpunks, mm-hmm. right? Because it's similar to how I mentioned, not all like core devs are cypherpunks. They're just talented cryptographers and developers and they're good at what they do. And they thought Bitcoin was interesting. And then it wasn't until later, maybe they turned into cypherpunks. And so maybe it was that like digital cash sounded fun and sexy and interesting to people that worked in the NSA and they were good at what they were doing. And then, you know, maybe they somehow got tired of the bureaucracy or or something they want to challenge themselves like tim may when he was at ibm like that's kind of why he left he didn't stay there forever like he wanted to work on like this cryptography stuff and make a free internet and have his gulch gulch and so he left ibm and he was totally influential to the high-tech kayakians well i think the high-tech kayakians are more like you know get into the system and work within or as Tim May was just like, fuck you. Like, yeah, it's going to be used by drug dealers and terrorists. So what? Deal with it. Like, cypherpunks write code, you know? Um, I don't know. Uh, the whole cypherpunks write code is really the only way that I think Bitcoin succeeds. Because even if you try to work within the system and and slightly slowly orange pill their drinks and this and that change their minds and use use lobbying i think all that stuff's great but at the end of the day what's driving that working within is cypherpunks writing this code and they did it without your permission and even the people that work within the system and don't want to be like a thorn in the side of the system that they're benefiting from they're still permissionlessly voluntarily using this cypherpunks write code technology <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of funny like they're living a contradiction it's that they don't want to be loud and say we are directly anti-establishment we want to make friends with the establishment and get them on bitcoin but they're still using the cypherpunk technology that is inherently against the establishment so like the whole cypherpunks write code is again the only way that we can make this thing succeed and the more they try to to ban it the more futile the efforts are and the more anti-fragile bitcoin becomes and that's why no fud can really destroy it and the market might dip for but that's only going to be on a temporary basis like the whole cypherpunks right code thing it's like it's going to work and that's again why bitcoin is so punk rock or rock and roll or as Johnny Ramone said in an interview, like, you know, rock and roll w- was made for punks. But I digress on that. Like, cypherpunks right code, though, is really the thing that's going to drive this. Yeah, I love it. I, I think that's huge. And I, it's it's going to be funny to see what happens with this whole um, North American Mining Council and, you know, stuff like that. I think it'll... Um, that's what Sailor... Uh, wanted to do with Elon yeah. as a recent. 
yeah, that's interesting. I still don't know how to feel about that. Because at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. And I think Sailor is, his intentions are well. And I think it's kind of silly how some Bitcoiners are like, oh, well, this is just another like uh, uh, New York agreement kind of thing. When centralization, try, people try and take over the network. And people are going to have to use their Bitcoin maximalist narratives and fight back and this and that. And Bitcoin's going to be anti-fragile, but people are going to have to speak up. So it stays anti-fragile. And I don't really know how to feel about it, to be honest. It's, an, it's another mixed bag. And I, I think Bitcoin's going to prevail. And it's, again, going to be something that hurts us like temporarily, maybe. Like it'll be another growing pain. And the growing pains will just get harder as you know, more sovereign nation state attention comes on it. But at the same time, I welcome it, like bring it on, right? Like you're going to make Bitcoin even sturdier. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It, it's just going to be interesting to watch it play out. So, yeah, uh, kind of wrapping up. Why why is Texas just finally considering constitutional carry? I don't pay attention to that stuff. I didn't even know that was a thing. You might want to ask some of your guns of Bitcoin people. But, no, that, that is crazy. I don't know. That That's like one of my biggest gripes with texas specifically is like it you know it's a gun state or you know promotes themselves as a gun state and they don't have constitutional carry and like there's all these other states that do arizona does it's just fantastic down here that's not something you have to worry about um yeah maybe it's to prevent people from being scared and moving here possibly uh oh I mean, maybe over the years and like Austin, like it's, of course it's the capital. So it's like super blue, but even people are waking up to that. It's funny. I go to the Unchained Capital Bit Devs meetup like every month. And the last couple of months, Parker Lewis was very loud about people voting against Prop B or was it for Prop B? I don't know, but basically voting against the whole homeless people and having a bunch of tents under the bridge. Cause we don't want to be San Francisco 2.0 kind of deal. And it was an overwhelming majority that people voted to get rid of the tents and even the Democrats in, uh, in the Austin government were also kind of speaking up out against having the tents. And, and so as, as I guess status in blue as it is, I think people are waking up and saying that we don't want to live in this, you know, San Francisco, like, place because all the people from california are moving here and maybe similar to guns like they wanted to, it to be like friendly to people coming in for so long but you know if you're gonna clean up your 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 city you want it to be as safe and welcoming as possible so yeah you get rid of the homeless people but maybe you also want to uh you know the whole mentality of a armed society is a play society which Probably that's a uh, minority opinion in uh, local government here, or at least in Austin. I'm not sure, but yeah, it is it is interesting. We're we're seeing the jurisdictional arbitrage play out. Greg Abbott, our governor, recently uh, made a a post that he wants to make Texas the Bitcoin mecca of the country or something. 
that's very exciting. That's definitely happening. So that goes back to the decentralization of uh, mining as well. And just all the industry that'll, that'll create in itself. So I, I'm not the gun aficionado to disappoint you. I'm pro gun. It's always been like a thing at the bottom of my bucket list for some reason. I don't know. I think it takes a certain person to be not gun crazy, but have a real, real, real strong conviction to be all into guns and 3D printing. Like, I love it. It's, it's fucking great. But, you know, I've never been to, I've never been like as interested enough to get all these guns and make my own. And, and, uh, maybe that'll change. Maybe like push will come to shove and I'll be like, I need a fucking gun right now. I, I need 12. <laughs> and it needs to, I need to be like ghost ghost runners or ghost guns or whatever. And I need to get them in the most secure private uh, permissionless way possible. And it's just amazing how Bitcoin is kind of like leading the way with that. Like the whole like Silk Road and all that was at the same time like Cody Wilson was doing his thing. And uh, like, I didn't go to the recent barrels of Bitcoin again, because like, I'm not like a big, crazy gun dude but it was cool to hear that he showed up to the to the recent one in his uh stealth appearance but um but yeah it's 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 great all this technology again is giving people what we've so craved for so long and that's the freedom of choice and taking voluntary action into our own hands to not only better us but again to the jordan peterson point like once you better yourself and i'm not like a huge like jordan peterson fan you know but you know what the good stuff he says is, is good, but it's about fixing yourself and uh, you do that through educating yourself and just prepping and being the best you can. And you do that through uh, Bitcoin. I think it's like the, the way that that's really impacted me the most, just asking hard questions and learning so much in nearly two years and you fix yourself and you learn that if you fix yourself, you can fix the money by buying Bitcoin. And once you fix the money, you fix the world as we say. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan Peterson's Red Skull. He's a he's a villain, an Avengers villain. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw that. I that, didn't. Oh, it, some some um critical race theory person that's been writing comics for Marvel and was using a bunch of Jordan Peterson quotes um in one of the comics uh for the character Red Skull. It was like oh, really? Captain America's enemy. And it was just really funny. Um, I'm surprised he still has a job at DC or whatever, Marvel. They, they, I heard that they've been pretty social justice as of the past few years. Yeah, they're Disney's kind of... I mean, of, it's Disney, yeah. They've lost their minds. Um, it's... I mean, the memes are amazing. It's entertaining. It's backfiring and it's awesome. But um, yeah, uh, where, where are some good places people can follow you? Twitter, of course, it's Mr. Sue, M-R-P-S-E-U. I got a podcast. It's called A Boy Named Sue. It's about P-S-E-U. And it's a Bitcoin podcast. First libertarian, but pretty much Bitcoin for the past two years. And and uh, as I mentioned, I'm first and foremost a musician. So you can find Mr. Sue on Spotify and everywhere else you stream music. And I wrote a song called End the Fed. Well, it's it's called ETF, all capital letters and a period after the letters. So 
capital E period, capital T period, capital F period. I feel like I need to say this every time just so people like aren't stupid and they can't find it for whatever reason. But if you search Mr. Seu MR period PSEU on Spotify or wherever you stream music, you'll find it. And I'm super proud of that song. And it is hard to like make money as an artist these days. And I'm not all for like the NFT stuff unless if it's like on Bitcoin, which I think Blockstream's working on that. But like, I really just did it out of like love and passion. And after March 12th last year, it, I made it my duty to really just kind of try to grok how the financial system works and everything wrong with it. And so my writing that song ETF is just encapsulating how I feel about Bitcoin and how it's free to money. And I wrote a piece in Citadel 21 issue six, which the physical copy should come out, I think soon, but I wrote that and you can go read it and it kind of chronicles my journey through Bitcoin and how I felt about that song. And my job was to just teach people about Bitcoin. And even if they don't learn about it, I stick a catchy earworm in their heads because my thing was, you know, writing the soundtrack for the sound money revolution and dropping economic earworms in people's ears. Cause uh, you know, if it's catchy enough and it gets stuck in the head then maybe they'll be curious to read the lyrics. And I'm most proud of the music video that I did with Richard James, who did the Hard Money Film, hardmoneyfilm.com, where he took old school like cartoons and all this footage of news clips and stuff. And he layered that over audio clips from podcasts with Guy Swan and uh, uh, the 1971 guys, well, what the fuck happened in 1971, and Pierre Richard and Mises and Dean. And you just mash all those quotes up over this scenery of just the history of money. And he told history of money through this film of this like collage. And it's amazing. And so I love that film. And you, please, if y'all haven't watched it, go to hardmoneyfilm.com. And he also has anatomyofthestate.com uh, where he did the same thing with the Rothbard piece in Anatomy of the State. But I chose him to help make the music video. Like if you don't listen to the song, like, on Spotify or whatever, watch the music video because he does the same thing. And I had a big part in this is what I want to see, like all the cartoony kind of stuff. Like I try to make it like lighthearted because like sonically it's a lighthearted song. Um, but him and I worked and collaborated on that. So it's me like playing guitar and like singing the song and just uh, again, old school cartoons and news clips and uh just scenery of 2020 and also big shout out to Bitco Yanowski who is a great Bitcoin artist in the space he does the art for like Blue Wallet and Big Block Boom and a bunch of other companies and he did the artwork the logo of uh the the album artwork or the single artwork for ETF which is a cartoonish Federal Reserve uh, like this is also my idea too right but he brought it to life so I wanted him to make a cartoonish Federal Reserve building with octopus technical legs because it's like the Leviathan, like a monster beast. And it's called End the Fed. And so I have this giant, like orange, fiery Bitcoin comet, like blasting right into his face and it looks all scared. And it's it's great. And I'm I'm just really happy, like the three of us were able to collaborate on this thing that I saw and heard and felt in my soul. And that's really the story of, of ETF. Um, so yeah, you can check that out on YouTube. Just search Mr. Sue ETF 
and it's in my it's my pinned tweet on twitter if you want to go to etf615.com then you can uh donate like sats if you want i've been trying to have people donate so i can like pay for more studio time uh i recorded it with abram olve who is just a friend who's drummed on some other tracks of mine the intro song of my podcast is actually a full-length song that i haven't put out yet but he did drums on that and all the other recordings i've done he's helped me with but yeah if you want to if you like what you hear share it with absolutely everyone you can and uh you can help support me and creating more musical fusion and uh be be a part of this journey join the band you know do you have your music on sphinx uh i should you know i have a sphinx chat but i'm such an idiot i forgot my pin so i can't log in Uh so i have this sphinx chat that is just probably like abandoned by now and i feel bad for people that donated any sass but i can't fucking access it anymore yeah i've been in there pretty regularly but no it's not on there so I don't know if I, I don't even know if like they're able to delete Sphinx tribes. Probably not. But I don't know if I need to make a new Sphinx tribe now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's been a few people that have done that. I think that's really cool. I mean, I think like, I wonder how easy it would be to build a SoundCloud um, style app that uses RSS. Uh, yeah, there's been like, crypto DeFi things like audius like that but i don't know it's like what what does that user base really consist of like people that are funding the project and backing it or is it really like nft true artists because that was the cool thing about soundcloud is that people uh for a while could put things up and you can have them be taken down but it that uh shit hit shit hit the fan there when people were putting up uh, like popular music that was uh, being flagged by ASCAP or BMI or, you know, just copyright stuff. So it it's great what Sphinx is doing as like the antithesis of that and the whole Adam Curry of value for value model and stuff. And yeah, Bitcoin's leading the way in sovereignty and absolutely everything. So yeah, it's, it's hard to be patient, but as Bitcoiners, we can, we can get, get sit in our hands and just act our low time preference uh, mentality and just hope for the best and wait and keep our ear to the ground and help out the ecosystem every way we can. Yep, for sure. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, dude. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know, I think, you know, Phil brought up one of the things that uh, roadblocks people from Bitcoin being that it takes a lot of work to understand. And I think that's a bad excuse. And I think people really need to understand the severity of what's going on here. And I talk about the problems with the traditional monetary system quite a bit on the podcast. I'm not going to rehash it. But, you know, once we realize that, you know, these issues are our fault, that this is our country, this is our community, and that, you know, it's our responsibility to fix it. It's not fixed by going to the ballot box. Um, You know, it's our job to end the foreign wars and to end uh, the war on drugs and all these issues. I mean, like, just think, like, there's people serving life sentences, like, tons of people serving life sentences in states where it's legal to smoke pot. 
you know, for selling pot. And that's just insane. They're going to die in prison, even though it's they were doing something that now we say is legal. You know, back then it wasn't, you know. And you can have all your moral opinions about it that you want on whether you support, you know, drugs or not. Um, but it's just insane. You know, I, I think regardless of whether it, it's legal today and you know, there's people serving life sentences in prison for it. Um, and it's our fault. You know, it's our fault that we don't do anything. And Bitcoin gives us the ability to do things. It gives us a voice. It gives us money that's really difficult to confiscate. Um, it protects us from debasement of the currency, from us getting looted uh, because of its monetary policy, because it's not inflationary in the same way that fiat currency is, and it's not controlled by a central bank that can just change things on a whim. Um, and that's incredibly, incredibly exciting, and it is probably the most important thing to be focusing on, in my opinion. But yeah, I'll have Phil's song at the end, so stick around and check it out. I hope you go check out all of his work. I'll have it in the show notes. Bankruptcy, which bubbles about to burst. This can't get. 